Hello and welcome to Threshold's How to Work with Humans series, here with me Nikki, and today we're going to be looking at communicating change, which is probably one of the most stressful challenges that any leadership of any corporation can face, because of course at the heart of all change is the people, and the decisions that are made the absolute impact that it has on those people. And I'm very fortunate today to have a very special guest who's had first-hand experience of this, and that is Sarah Hutton. And Sarah led a major change programme when she was HR Director for the Western European Business Group at Coca-Cola. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for being willing to come and be open with your experiences of this. Well, I'm honoured to be here and I hope I can be of help. Thank you. I've also asked James Brooke to be with us. James is one of the directors of Threshold. So good morning to you, good James. Good morning. Good morning, Nikki. And I've asked James to join us because it was Threshold that Sarah asked to partner with on, on this programme. So I thought it'd be interesting to hear some of his thoughts and memories of this time. So before we get kind of stuck into this often thorny topic, I'm wondering, Sarah, if you could give us a kind of whistle-stop tour of your career, what led you to being at Coca-Cola? Well, Nikki, um, I started off, in fact, in management consulting, um, much as most people do, because they can't think of the job that they really should be in, so it seems to be a good place to start and experience a lot of different companies. Um, in that, I fell into, in fact, um, working a lot in organisational change. Um, and uh, found my passion point really in the people component of change. Mm. So um, as a consultant, um, helped a lot of clients thinking through how to deal um, with people in change, um, primarily around how to engage them um, in both the vision and the direction that uh, the organisation wants to take, but then also the mechanics of of getting there and sustaining behavioural change. It was interesting because when we were chatting downstairs before just grabbing a coffee and I was just having a, a chat with you, you described it as saying that helping people go through change is probably the most difficult, hardest things that you, you can do, yet you still want to do it as your job. And it was quite interesting. You literally put your hands on your heart and your face kind of lit up when you <laughs> spoke about it because clearly you've... I, I think I said to you, this is something that you discovered you're really good at, as hard as it is, this is what you were made to do, it's where you feel complete as a person. Well, I suppose it's a personal point of philosophy, because I feel that people spend so much time uh, working and focused mm. on work, and so much energy, um, that we really, as organisations or leaders in an organisation, I mean, we deserve to honour that, and we deserve to give them... Um, the best consideration um, just in return for their time and energy that they give to us. So, yes, I suppose I come from a very uh, humanist school um, of leadership. So let's go back in time to you starting at Coca-Cola. So I know you were there for quite a long time, weren't you? But changed places. You can give me a little flavour of what, what that was and where, where you started at with them. I started Coke um, working for the North America Business Unit, 
Um, I was very fortunate to be hired by a very inspiring woman whose uh, mantra was to put the human back in human resources. Um, and uh, um, I, what really attracted me to her was the fact that she, she also saw me as a whole person. So having been a management consultant for so many years, um, I had two small children and I really wanted the opportunity to get off the road because I was traveling um, um, all, all week, every week, um, and actually do um, uh, live and work in the same city mm -hmm. um, that my family was in. And she saw that as almost as important to her in giving me the job that she did um, as she did the, the skills and experiences that I brought with me, which was eye-opening to me. You said something interesting that you'd also seen in the past times when it had been done really badly. What, what kind of things was it from those experiences that, that stick in your memory that you think, goodness me, that really was getting it wrong? Because obviously <laughs> at the time corporations feel, of course, this is how you do it. Um, that's really funny to say, your whole body just changed then at the memory of it, like, oh, like a sinking feeling coming over you of those memories. I can remember getting into a debate at one point in my career about whether the envelopes uh, that held the severance papers um, should be put in alphabetical order or in order of closeness to the leader's office um, so that he knew in, in which order he was going to actually uh, let people go on the particular oh, day that he was going to let people go. And I can remember at the time thinking, why are we having this debate about whether it's better to be alphabetical or whether you call people in based on their closeness to his office mm -hmm. or whether it's better to have people further away you know do you do you, whose faces do you want to be seen by whom and I just thought that that sounds so wrong it just feels so wrong there's got to be there's got to be something different. Seems to sound human. There's just got to be a different way of thinking about it. And it doesn't mean that ultimately leaders aren't going to have to give people a severance package and it's probably mm. going to be in an envelope and they are going to have to think about when and how. But that shouldn't be the crux of the mm. conversation. Um, is is it, it, it really should be about, so what's the... What is the experience of that moment for those individuals? I mean, obviously, you, you want to have all the, the components about um, uh, a package and, and, and the way that you're going to exit people. You want to be confident that all of those elements are correct. But in that moment of communicating that change, that should be the critical moment um, to focus on. Well, it sounds like a classic case of the envelopes of the people really not wanting to have to deal with the emotions. So they put all the focus on the envelopes and make that a huge thing because then it protects them from actually the, <laughs> the horribleness of having to deal with other people's emotions. Well, I hadn't thought about it like that, but That's yes, you're probably right. Yeah. yeah, no, you're probably right. Yeah. James has been very patiently sitting here, mm -hmm. so quiet. I've never heard him listening so to quiet, Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> listening to Sarah. Now I know the key to keeping James quiet. And listening to Sarah, Sarah and it's bringing back memories. Yeah. 
Wow. So let's go then yeah. into what led mm. you to working with Threshold. What was going on then? So I came to um, the UK to lead the Western uh, Europe business mm -hmm. unit from an HR perspective. Um, and shortly after I got here, the company um, announced a global change. Um, and so just interrupt, so you didn't know that was going to happen when you took the role on? No, I didn't know that was going to happen. Um, our chairman and CEO at the time um, announced to Wall Street that he was going to take um, 350 uh, million out of the business um, costs and put it behind marketing. And so obviously that meant that there was going to be um, a, a huge focus um, mm. on resource reduction around the world. And yes, there's great opportunities to take cost out from um, um, a procurement and a, a production perspective, but ultimately um, in, in our business, the, the majority of the, the costs are, are, are in our people. So it was going to mean a big, a big people change. Um, how did uh, James and Threshold come into the picture? Well, I knew that what I really wanted to do um, in leading this change um, was, to, was to focus as much as I could, as I had in the past, but actually even kick it up a notch in terms of, uh, of, of how I wanted people to experience the change. And was that because of the experiences you'd obviously had? It was because of the experiences that I'd had in the past, but I'd also had experience with, uh, with, with James and his company. They'd done some work with us um, as a, a leadership team um, on giving feedback as part of a, a general leadership development program that, that we were doing. Um, and I really felt that the value in having people experience um, a situation live with actors was so much more realistic and prepared people so much more emotionally because they could actually practice some difficult conversations in a very real way. Um, was going to be something that we really needed to do. Absolutely, I'm, I'm very pleased you've said that because I think often also using the word actor, people are like, oh, they're just an actor. Early in my career as a consultant, we had had an opportunity, a very special opportunity to work with actors um, on giving bad news. And um, I'd had an experience where um, I'd had to uh, uh, tell this this person, this actor, um, um, who was playing the role of of of, uh, of a colleague or a, a client, um, that they weren't going to uh, be retaining their position um, through the change program that we'd been working on together. And um, I came into the room and I started talking and this this woman burst into tears and I was so horrified mm -hmm. that um, I got completely drawn into um, the, the context that she was creating um, and she really was able to uh, in fact play out probably the worst conversation that I could ever have mm -hmm. um, because she'd had some time in fact 
before that to get to know me. And so she knew that that would be the, that one. Would be the one that I would mm. find most difficult to handle. And it's not an unrealistic situation mm. that you would talk to someone and they would burst into tears. And then it was enormously valuable um, afterwards to actually have her say, you know, the fact that you then burst into tears wasn't unprofessional. <laughs> it actually was hugely empathetic and it made me calm right down mm. really quickly. So um, it, was, it, was a, it was a turning point for me to kind of go, okay, it's okay not to be professional. I felt that I had a professional fail because I hadn't kept control of my emotions. And in fact, it was... The, the better thing to do in, in, in that moment was, was to let go and to be in her emotion with her. That is so interesting, isn't it? In, in the workplace, we often feel that you, you can't show the emotion, but it's the one thing we're all craving. It's, it's you know, work is, is your life often, and being able to share and show what's going on is, is hugely important. It's the bottling up that can make it so incredibly difficult. Well, I mean, we talk so much now, particularly when we think about diversity and bringing diversity into the workplace and allowing people to be who they are at work. Well, I mean, then you have to take the emotional component of them yes. as well and not just the, the intellectual and the, and the effort that they put in. You have to recognise mm -hmm. that they are whole people and they're not switching off and on as they come into your doors in the morning and as they leave at night. Um, well, especially because we think about always being on these days yes. um, with being able to access people. So you just have to be in touch with the whole person. Absolutely. So, James, what's your recollection of this mm -hmm. time when you get the call from Sarah, having worked with her before? Tell me a little about that, what was going on. So, yeah, we were involved with the programme that, that, that Sarah was talking about, um, which was very much about giving feedback, creating an honest feedback culture, so giving difficult messages, difficult conversations. So we knew what your people responded to well was something that's really pragmatic, very hands-on, very immersive, they like, and they responded to the use of, of theatre well. Um, and then, of course, suddenly... You weren't expecting it, we weren't expecting it. This big change hit, didn't it? And as you said, 350 million out of the business. Um, and, and again, as you rightly say, that was with a view to reinvesting that in marketing. But of course, if you're an associate working in the business at the time, that's not the way it registers with you, is it? And I think what was what really struck me, and I, what I'm so grateful for Sarah for, is the recognition that this has to be done properly and your people had to be properly supported through it. Um, and a big part of that was your refusal, Sarah, to outsource the job of having that difficult conversation to anybody else. You recognise the line manager has to do it. And again, there's a whole bunch of evidence that mm. says, actually, that's what people want. They want to sit down with their line manager and have that conversation. And there's a bunch of evidence to show that actually people don't trust the messages that come from the most senior leadership. And the, one of the big mistakes that corporations make is they try to cut that line manager out. But I think Sarah and her team recognised, we've got to get these guys to do it. We've got to get these line managers to sit mm. down and, and have those conversations. And if they're going to do it, they need to be supported through it. And I think that was a big part because so often that's the, you know, that's 
that's the argument we have to have with a client at the start of this. But I think the fact that Sarah and Sarah's team got it um, was was hugely helpful. Um, and again, that that could then be be used for them. Um, and they responded. They they did respond extremely well. It was still uh, you know a difficult time. The other memory I have as well, Sarah, is if you recall, one of the big challenges is that you had to still get people to deliver the plan for that year. And you had to get people to implement change who didn't know if they were going to still be in a job. Oh um, my goodness. Yeah, so how on earth did you manage Tell, tell us about that again. Well, I think yeah. what had been so different in working in an organisation change situation where people are going to lose their jobs um, in Europe, um, as opposed to the, the US, is that the US, the time... Uh, window for doing that is much quicker. So this time of being uncertain is 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 just shorter, and therefore it's it's easier. Um, the legal processes that we go through in in Europe just mean that people are needing to stay motivated, stay focused, continue to deliver the business for a much much longer period of time than than the US counterparts would be. Um, and so thinking about that, you know, really we came to, in through conversations with James and his team, was to say, okay, so we know that there's this moment in time that's about giving feedback, but even the process of teaching people how to give feedback and watching others get feedback and understanding all the different nuances of what those conversations can look like, through the practice of that, I, I really think you build resilience to change. So were resilience tools part of the programme then, within the same one? Yeah, we did actually. And kindly Sarah, again, Sarah and her team, her team committed to a programme of teaching people resilience. So we did the Be Bulletproof thing, both through Was that done in separate workshops or in the same one? Yeah, so separate. So leading th people through change and then actually working with people to just to make them aware of some practical things they can do for themselves so that if they receive some bad news, they receive a setback, um, something like redundancy happens, they can just more readily bounce back. Um, and I was thinking, going back to just memories of the early conversations we had, I think one thing that stuck in my mind is early conversation with Sarah when you actually explain this problem, this challenge of you've got to get people to deliver now when they don't know they have a job. And your challenge to us is what do you, how do you get them to do that? And I remember I was thinking, well, you know, appeal to their professionalism. And you said, and whatever you do, don't tell me to appeal to their professionalism. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, so I sat there and thought, I'm going to have to come up with a smarter answer than that. Than Sarah. Than that Sarah than Sarah. Yeah. So we went away and we said, what, you know, what is, what is the key to that? And we looked at all of the research, all that we know about human beings in the workplace, and we took all that and we, what we tried to do is boil it down to two fundamental guiding principles which were fairness and reciprocity. So in other words, if the per person receiving the bad news at least feels you are being fair, you've explained to it, you, they get that there was a fair process behind this decision, even if they didn't like the outcome of the decision. So fairness invites fairness back. And reciprocity, in other words, you know, that human instinct to reciprocate. If the organisation shows it's just gone the extra mile for you, as Sarah was talking about, giving you those outplacement 
workshops, the resilience workshops, you we know you're more likely to go the extra mile for, for them. So I think that was you know that was something that guided the intervention mm. with with Sarah and her team, which I think again worked well. There was a payoff for committing to those. So what, what yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that actually because as a newcomer to the whole works council process, um, something I had not anticipated as as an outcome. Clearly, the, those uh, wiser and more experienced on my team had worked it out, but was the fact that it did build trust um, in um, in 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 the people and it built trust with the works council members mm -hmm. as well that they felt that we were um, really trying to mm. uh, get to the best outcome for everybody even if it wasn't the outcome that every individual mm. might want yeah and, and for the reasons you were saying earlier uh, Sarah I think that makes a huge amount of difference so what we know and what a whole bunch of psychology experiments show is that actually again if you put people under stress not surprising when they come out of stress situations, they, they function less effectively. So create an artificial stress situation, get them to do a cognitive task, they perform less well on it. But where it gets interesting is if you get them to do the same exercise, but communicate with them throughout, explain why you're doing it, and in a courteous, respectful, warm way, people's ability to perform those functions after the stress situation falls far less. So it does show that actually, even though you may, you can't avoid that difficult choice you may have to let people go the way in which you treat them through that process makes a big difference as to whether they get back up on their feet after which again makes a big difference to are they going to be feeling good about your organization good ambassadors how are their colleagues who are going to be left behind feel um, which all means that the organization recovers a lot quicker from the fallout the emotional fallout around the change so yeah we definitely felt it was worth doing it sounds as well as if you didn't just bring a company in and say, what package do you do, come in and deliver it. There was clearly a lot of you two really having a lot of conversations and really fight for James to really find out what was the heart of it, to really get to understand not just you but your people and, and how best to work, which I think is, is quite unusual. I think there's a lot of companies that have their little list of workshops that they deliver and turn up and I think people then sense that don't they they know oh I see you've just brought in these people but this sounds like you it's a whole much more rounded way of way of doing it look I think I think we were lucky in that um, we had the resources to do it um, I think that uh, in any change if you have resources through the process of change it it's really worth investing in change itself in the process of change um, so yes it was important I, I think that getting it right which is your question around the tailoring it and actually mm. putting the effort in is 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 critical for, for it to actually land effectively I mean, we've all been in some kind of a training or another that feels a bit tinny on the ear because mm it's not exactly where you are. So for credibility, um, it needed to be something that really resonated um, and spoke to the people. Also, because they're, they know what's going on and they need to be uh, spoken to um, as if you do care about them and not that you're just throwing uh, something at them. Mm -hmm.
Absolutely. So how do you know if it was successful? Careful, because James is listening, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it's only the reputation of Threshold at stake here. Well, I think from a change perspective, though, um, it really, I'd look to two things. One is that, um, I mentioned it before, but I think we built a better uh, trusting environment, um, both with the workforce and with the works councils as a result. So I think that that smoothed um, our ability to do consultation, for sure. Um, the other piece that I would point to is that um, there were far less referrals back from line managers regarding conversations uh, to the HR business partner team. And we, we often think of them last mm. in terms of the support that they need, but it really took a big emotional load, um, I think, off of them to not have to do that or, or pick up the, the most difficult cases that the line managers were able to do that themselves. Okay. So for people listening, if you could give them all your years of having dealing with this, what would be the big thing you say, oh, goodness me, if you're having to go through this, just make sure you do, what would be the word? I think you've always got to keep the end in mind. So if the, the end point is about um, engagement, um, if it is about future consumers and ambassadors for your brand, um, if it is about speed to, um, to reactivation and organisational effectiveness and therefore hopefully productivity um, and, and so on, then that guides the kinds of choices that you make. In fact, the way that you address the people who are going to be leaving has such a huge impact on the people who are staying mm -hmm. that in fact... Um, it's it's worth it's worth it from from a whole organization perspective it really helps people see that you want to invest in all people thank you thank you sarah and, and for you james any sort of final thoughts yeah i i think um one thing is you know that process of continually evolving the workshop and um and improving it so i remember the first one we did we came away and we thought that didn't hit hard enough um, so these were people who were going to have to have these really difficult conversations. So in terms of the replicating it with um, with actors, we increased the kind of emotional intensity so it more matched what people might feel when they went out there. So when people came out of that workshop, they knew that these were the sort of emotions were going on. And the other thought is one of the phrases for us as a team that came out of it was putting people in the flight simulator. So again... I think there was some research out at the time which just showed that when you train pilots, you get a certain amount of knowledge from training people in the theory in the classroom, but where you get that real spike is put them in the flight simulator when they have to put their hands on the controls. And effectively, that's what we were doing when you actually say to somebody, right, you got the theory of having these conversations, sit down with me now, I'm going to look you in the eye as another human being and say the words... And that's where they have the hands on the controls and that's where it can be scary and it can feel out of control. But that's where you get the real spike in learning and their confidence to go out and do it. So um, the main thing I'd say is how grateful I am to Sarah and her team for committing to supporting line managers through this, for doing it properly, because really that does not always happen <laughs> in organisations. And I think those who don't, you know, pay the price. And I think 
just getting it right is well worth it. So yeah, we're very grateful to Sarah and her team. I know as well, Sarah, whilst you were putting this huge programme in place, you were also going through change yourself in your personal life. It kind of all happened at the same time. Is this something you feel that you could have a, a, a chat with me about? I think that uh, it's interesting having this conversation and then thinking about what happened next for me. Um, and to do it now, some time later, mm. um, and to see, to pull some threads through. Mm. Um, so what, what, what happened at the time um, of the change, I was getting more and more exhausted, um, not sleeping well, um, and so on, but really thinking it was down to the fact that I was managing and feeling very accountable for doing it right, this big um, change for my, for my company. Um, but in fact, what I didn't know, which I found out when I went on holiday, in fact, after we'd uh, completed all the change, um, was that I in fact um, had leukemia um, and uh, by the time that I was actually addressing it it was in a pretty advanced stage. Mm. So um, I think from a communications point of view um, it has made me reflect on the nature of being the, the hearer the listener to bad news and what and what and what that can be and it really can be about that's mine. Sarah's <laughs> phone is pulsating. Sorry, I wasn't sure about that. James no, was discreetly trying to creep round. Yeah, I know. I know. Sorry. <laughs> what happened to me was really made me reflect on what it's like to be the the receiver of bad news and and it brings home another. A component about communicating and communicating in times of change which we all know about but we we often forget which is that communication is never once and done um, it's a continuous process and sometimes you have to give the messaging over and over and over again so um, an example would be for me is that I mean I was told pretty early on that uh, uh, my chances of survival were, were, were reasonably slim um, and uh, I had sat in this meeting with the medical team and my husband and we'd said to them okay you know just tell us everything we can take it we we just want to know um, and the oncologist wrote all over this uh, whiteboard um, all the different choice paths that I had be they drugs or transplant or um, um, whatever, and, uh, and, and described a very, very long journey through disease to, uh, to potentially to recovery or not, moving forward and what I knew I needed to do for myself and my family, that uh, I had to come back to it time and time again mm -hmm. to actually really realise the gravity, because I, I kept pushing it away. And so there is a, there's an element in all of us that is about needing to hear over and over again um, because you absorb different things at different times and uh, 
And so if it is bad news and if it is super traumatic, um, so if you are a sole breadwinner and you're being told at perhaps a late time in your career or anybody going into what looks like a shaky economic environment and, uh, and, and, and potential economic downturn that, you know, you're going to be losing your job, that, uh, um, y- yes, it's fine. Um, you need to absorb that message, and um, uh, but it takes time to work out which pieces of those you need to listen to and which pieces of those are going to help you move forward. Um, and as a company um, or as managers, knowing that that support is not once and done. It's It needs to be given on a continuous basis. That's a beautifully put, Sarah, it really is. And, and thank you for sharing something that's obviously very, obviously very personal. And I'm very happy to say you've been a year clear now. Yes, so I have that feeling, which is amazing. wonderful. Absolutely, yeah. really incredible. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being here today. Thank you very much. So, thank you, James. Yes, it's thank you. Most yes. welcome. Thank you, you're most welcome. I've loved it, so yeah. not to have to have him talking as much as he normally likes. It's very exciting for me. And so that all that takes for me to say thank you so much for listening. That's me, Nikki. And I do hope that you will join us again for another episode of Threshold's How to Work with Humans. Thank you for listening. Bye.